2: The race is on, and AlphaTauri has become the second team to reveal its 2021 car, the AT02. And after the slight disappointment of the McLaren reveal, there's plenty of technical detail in this car to get our teeth into. I'm Ed Stewart, and joining me to take a close look at the car and the team's prospects for 2021 are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Gary, I said you were a little bit disappointed when we talked about McLaren, but you're quite happy this morning. There was a pleasant surprise from AlphaTauri.
3: Well, yeah, I am surprised. You could say they're the first car to reveal their 2021 product. Um, Because I say McLaren, you know, had half a car there really to show us, but they didn't really show us very much. Uh, But Alfa Tauri, it's, you know, it's a complete car. They went round it. They got pictures of the back of it, front of it, side of it. You know, everything's there. Yes, I'm sure lots and lots of bits will change between now and, and the first race, but they have a complete package. So it's nice to see all the detail that the new regulations are bringing. And uh, and how they've try- tried to uh, attack that sort of uh, that area to get the downforce back again. So yeah, quite impressed by the car, and uh, it looks it looks neat and tidy as a general car. You know, nothing nothing startling, but neat and tidy. And within these regulations that we have, that's all you can ask for.
2: And obviously, the interesting thing is what they have and have not taken from from Red Bull. So I guess Mark Hughes, we should briefly mention what's not on the car. In the, as Jody Eggington, the technical director, said at the end of last year they haven't taken the the 2020 red bull rear end which they could have done without a token spend so what do we know about the reasoning for that and do you think that's a good idea
1: yeah they could have done they had the same option as um racing boyd aston martin had of of updating to the um the the donor team if you like um the race suspension um of, of the the 2020 car rather than the 2019 rear end that they were running but um Tari have insisted that uh, they're quite happy with the 2019 Red Bull rear end, and that uh, given that they were re- restricted in token spend, that wasn't the end of the car that they wished to um, f- focus on to find performance. They didn't think there was um, that's that's you know what the, the critical path was really in terms of. Um, of, of finding performance, so they've, they've they've spent it all on the on the front end. The, the two tokens that are allowed have been spent on the new nose and accompanying new suspension um, to, to feed into that, and uh, that's just where they, they they felt there was more time to be found for them. Um, whereas, uh, also the, the the fact that the Red Bull rear end wasn't as radically different um, fr- from the 2019 car as the Mercedes one was. So, um, you know, I think those things combined have just sent them in this direction.
2: Gary this strikes me as the kind of move that you'd probably approve of because obviously you like teams to understand what they've got and build on what they've got so this seems like quite a pragmatic solution for what is not one of the biggest spending teams on the grid as well.
3: Yeah you know you have to identify your problems and then address them and if they can identify that the front end of the car was the area they wanted to focus on because that was their that was what was holding them back basically then it's a waste of time putting a lot of effort into the back of the car you know you have to focus on what your shortcomings are. Um, they, they say they've got some more parts in the front suspension from from Red Bull. Red Bull were probably one of the teams that used the sort of weight transfer jacking with steering lock more than most other teams, um, sometimes to a sort of detrimental effect. But I think on the Red Bull, it was a combination of that steering weight transfer and their front wing assembly that I believe does in, increase uh, front downforce with steering lock. So the combination of that together for Red Bull I think was a bit was a bit over the top at times. So incorporating the suspension into the uh, Alfa Tori design is not the wrong thing. Um, their front wing still has the, the sort of loaded inboard end and the outboard end is sort of for uh, outwash around the tyre. So they're not incorporating that aerodynamic switch that uh, I think Red Bull have. So... I think they've just taken their their deficits and tried to identify them and tried to rectify them, and that's that's the best thing to do, especially when the regulations like this, changing slightly because of the rear diffuser, you know, the, and the uh, floor. You need to put a lot of effort into that area to make sure you get back the downforce, if you can. And uh, I think, yeah, I think they've spent wisely.
2: So if we look at the car, obviously it's a new nose they've spent on that. Now it's perhaps not the most obvious difference. As soon as you hear new nose token spend, you think it's going to be a, a Mercedes-style nose, you know, like the way Renault went last year, really slimming it down. But it's actually, at a glance, not so different, is it, Gary?
3: It's not so different. Um, no, I'm I'm sort of a bit disappointed in that, I must say, because, you know, the narrower no- the narrower nose that Mercedes and, uh, you know, McLaren, Red Bull, um, Racing Point run is a better solution for sure. Because you're trying to get airflow around that nose and underneath the car, and get as much mass flow that the car sees, you know, driving into it between the two front wheels, and the more things you have there obstructing that, the less mass flow you'll get between those front wheels. So they're they're trying to do the best they can. I think with what they have, as because the the new narrow nose thing, it, it is a bit heavy going whenever you're trying to pass a crash test. So you know, for a small team. Trying to do all that at once might just tip them overboard a little bit. All their all their focus would be on that, and that's not necessarily what they need to be. Now, any differences, like from the small the narrow nose to the wider nose or vice versa, is you know they're all small changes, but those small changes all add up. If they've managed to get themselves, I'm sure they've modelled it and tested it in the wind tunnel, the narrow nose, and if they've managed to get away with what they've got now and get within a you know half a percent of the performance, then. They've done a good job but uh a little surprised that they haven't gone that route i must admit
2: and we saw mark they've stuck with the the inboard loaded front wing based on what we've seen so far anyway it's not impossible they could change that because that's a, a free and, and modular part that they can they can change they've got the 2020 spec red bull power steering on the car and some front suspension changes so this is kind of where the the benefit of the the red bull parts is is being felt by them this year with those those free upgrades
1: yeah, I think um, in terms of the suspension components, Red Bulls supply the internal components, so you know the the the, the heave spring and all that, that that that's secreted within the nose, and uh, Alpha Tari make their own external parts, or the wishbones and everything. The, the stuff that you see outside of the bodywork, um, Tari does itself. In terms of um, yeah the. the the inwash versus the outwash. They've said in the past that <clears throat> they have looked at the outwash, one the the, the 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 type of front wing philosophy that more Mercedes and Red Bull have, have, have followed. Um, but it for them with their facilities, they found it. Um, very tricky to control it, it does give better peak numbers but they found it very difficult to control the outwash and given the facilities that they have and they're they're still operate they're still operating in the 50 percent tunnel when in, in the conception of this car they the switched to the new red bull they the switched the red bull tunnel for um from this year um they found that that was just the the, the most um the easiest and most effective solution for them and then the the level of um, facilities and staffing that, that that they have that they could make it work um, more effectively. So, yeah, I think they, they just gotta balance off their ambitions with you know the, what 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 is realistic. Like Gary was saying, and for them, it's in terms of the front wing, it's the inboard loaded, and that type of approach has probably influenced them not going very radical on on the new nose. Um, the nose, it, it, difficult to see from the images was seen, but the. The nose on side view, it appears that the biggest change may be in profile rather than um looking at it on top. So it looks like they may have like hollowed out the underneath a bit more, which would explain why they've needed to make suspension changes, because obviously it would impact upon the, the pickup points of the suspension.
2: And this, of course, Gary, it's all it's all one system, isn't it? The the F1 car, so the the front works with the the barge boards. And we see some barge board changes. Obviously, the floor regulation changes towards the back of the floor have an impact on all that so this is the car where we've seen the most detail of that we, we did get kind of some hints of what the McLaren barge boards had done from the the shakedown although they weren't very hard to cover them up but AlphaTauri, to its credit has been happy to show in, in full detail its changes so what do you make of that and how much of that do you think is driven by the change to the floor which while further back down the car is obviously significant in how you set up all those flow structures.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, the car itself, everything works together from the front wing to the to the back of the diffuser. Everything has to sort of, the flow um, regime that you set up at the front gets through to the back of the car somehow. So you have to be, you know, everything has to be connected together. But in reality, the, the front wing, the, the the leading edge of the, or the underneath of the chassis, underneath the driver's feet, the front suspension, the barge boards, and that front corner of the floor is um, a unit in itself uh, and the fact that, you know, the airflow gets through the between the front tires, um, having that as open as possible is fairly critical to the front wing performance. Because if you put a, something behind the front wing, the front wing doesn't work very well. It's the thing behind it that's causing the grief. You could, if you put a big sheet of metal across there, a huge chassis in there, you could work on the front wing to doomsday and you won't get the downforce back. So it's it's the stuff behind the front wing that affects the front wing performance. And then obviously you've got the barge board scavenging that airflow out. So you're pulling that airflow through between the front wheels as, as fast as possible because the downforce is at the square of the speed. So the faster the, the airflow can be going across any downforce producing surfaces, the more downforce you'll get out of it relative to the car speed. So everything works together about pulling airflow through as fast as possible through these voids that you see. And that whole front corner of the floor works on its own right as a diffuser. So the barge boards are all part of that. Then they they also connect up to the floor, which is the regulations have changed because the, the vortices coming off those barge boards go down the side of the car and help seal that floor. And those louvers that we had on the floor last year, they were more effective. The philosophy hasn't changed. Uh the the louvers have gone and the sealing of the floor will be will be less. So, what you're trying to do with the front corner of the car is pull more of that airflow out through that area. So that really the leakage then is just combined with the airflow that's still underneath the car, and the diffuser works on that. So you've got sort of you've got one car, but you've got two major components. The diffuser can only do a certain amount of work. It's maximized in its size to the regulations. So it can only do an effective amount of work on a certain amount of airflow that's underneath the car. And if you let more airflow in there, that diffuser will not work as hard, so you'll lose downforce from it. So what you're trying to do with these this, these cars now, as opposed to last year, is get more of that airflow out of, from underneath the car at the front so the diffuser works on the leakage and what's left, and you're trying to make sure that that volume of air that's underneath the car isn't any more than it was last year because um, the diffuser just wouldn't work, do the work on it. So, yeah, everything works together. They've, they've gone with their... Uh, I suppose they put in these horizontal louver flaps uh, at the side, again, to try and evacuate the front, the airflow out the front of the floor a bit more, create a bit more downforce from that, but mainly to pull that airflow out so that the air, air that does leak in underneath the car won't be as detrimental to the diffuser. It's still the same philosophy as last year, but just its priority has changed a little bit, I think you might call it.
2: And that kind of sums up the Alpha Tauri approach, isn't it? It's very much a, an evolution. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. This is a team that in the past couple of years, particularly last year, seems to have become more sure-footed in terms of its aero developments. They've, they've had some missteps in the past, but it just seems much more progressive. I mean, Mark, from that perspective, this is quite encouraging because this was a team that was on a nice tidy trajectory last year and they seem to be making the choices sensibly to, to continue that and be able to hold their own in that midfield pack
1: yeah when you look at the development curve last year there were no big jumps but it was it was steady it was it was it was making progress all the time and you saw that by the end of the year they were quite often up there you know pitching with McLaren and Renault um you know, much much bigger teams so yeah I think they've just um as we alluded to earlier stayed on their own path um they've just work with what they've got rather than um, getting distracted looking to see what the, the better resource teams might have come up with in terms of specific solutions. And it, it's working for them. It's, they were on a very productive development curve last year. And um, if if they're planning on doing the same this year, it makes sense that uh, the the car's are very much the same philosophy, especially as you know it's, it's the final year of these regulations anyway.
2: And of course, Gary, this is the first time we've seen a car built around the 2021 Honda power unit package. Lots of optimism from Japan in terms of the progress they've made. They've brought some developments forward that were planned for 2022 uh, into this package for obvious reasons, given they're about to withdraw, even though that engine will live on as the the Red Bull engine. Unfortunately, AlphaTauri didn't oblige us by releasing comprehensive photos of the the power units uh, uh, without uh, being in the car, which is obviously a great surprise to everyone. But any slight hints about whether there's been gains in terms of the the packaging with that with that or is it just a completely uh completely invisible thing
3: on this car um I think it's completely invisible to be honest yeah I mean Honda are very buoyant about their engine changes for next for this season um, I hope it doesn't affect them uh, reliability wise because it's it's very easy to trip trip up over yourself you know they have for the first time really in a long time got a Japanese driver in the car, so I think their focus this year is, is going to be pretty high on on just trying to do the best job they physically can. Um, and obviously, then you know Red Bull and Tori will benefit from from that focus. It's it's a very difficult thing to say because, as I say, I, I would worry about reliability as far as packaging and cooling concerned, all that sort of stuff. It's small percentages, I think, you're changing now because that the package they've got is is really. It's not too bad. It started off pretty poor, but it ended up, um I think, last year in a pretty good position. It's about just optimising the performance, a bit like like Torre have done with the chassis. To be honest, you know they've gone through the bits where they knew they had a negative, and try to turn them into a positive. And I think Honda are doing the same for for this for this year's engine. So it's it's going to be about making sure the reliability is okay and the performance is still there. If you, if they can't do that, doesn't matter what the performance is like if the thing breaks down, but. I think because they've got a Japanese driver in there and they really are in their last year, they will be given everything they can to come out with a smile on their face. And, and, and it's also a way of saying to Japan, look, you know, we should have stayed, we're right up there now. So you know, people change their minds. Um, Honda changed their mind, came into Formula 1 and then decided to leave it again. You never know, Honda could change their mind again. It's, it's, it's not impossible if, if, uh, if their Japanese driver suddenly performs
1: really well. Then suddenly there'll be a big impetus to to keep that going. It's interesting that focus on on the Japanese driver, Gary. did you notice the, any change from Honda when you were running sato? um you, you didn't notice a
3: change from them, but you, you felt it was easier um, because they were getting you know they were getting the message I suppose they were getting the message in their language, you know never mind anything else um, we We you know pushed pretty hard for everything that we were trying to do with Honda at that time. It was it was very good, and it was really a good company to work with. I have to say, once they realised they had a problem, um, <clears throat> they reacted to it, you know, incredibly well. It was getting them to realise the problem was there was the biggest thing, and I think that that was eased whenever you had a Japanese driver within the team. Whether it's a culture thing or whatever, I don't know, but you know, it was, seemed to be easier to get the message across, and they would react a lot faster, a lot earlier. Sorry, not faster, because once once they did start. You know, they they just reacted so fast you couldn't believe. But they just needed to believe to begin with, and the Japanese drivers seemed to bring that to the to the show.
2: Plus, they've got the advantage. The Sonoda is uh, a driver with very real potential. Very fine season F2 last year. Great development curve in uh, in F3 the year before that. So he's he's a driver that's definitely got huge potential. And of course, alongside Pierre Gasly, really nice combination there for for this team. Gary, we did also get a look at the diffuser of the car, which was. Uh, a little bit unexpected we don't normally get those 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 rear detail shots obviously the really interesting thing there is you can very very clearly see the the rule changes there with those dividing fences vertical veins whatever you want to call them 50 millimeters shorter so i guess what it looks like is no surprise but what's the significance of that change
3: yeah it is a significant thing because those those vertical veins are used to separate to compartmentalize, I suppose you might call it, the, the diffuser, the working side of the diffuser. Now the, you know, the diffuser doesn't work equally all the way across it. For example, the, the outboard end, um, now with the leak leakage coming from the airflow coming in from the side of the floor, there'll be more airflow coming in there. And that outboard end um, will have more flow. But if you go right into the center of the, of the diffuser, it won't really have more flow. So what you have is whenever the car's going down the straight, um, after your sort of fastest corner, so as such, when the car's going down the straight, you want to, you want to stall the diffuser, and and reduce the drag, which increases the straight line speed. And to, to characterise it, it's a bit like a DRS opening, when the car gets to a certain point nearest to near the ground, parts of that diffuser will stall. And if you didn't have those separators, those vertical fins in the diffuser, that's airflow stall would spread right across the diffuser. So when it went, want it to reattach, when you hit the brake pedal it wouldn't reattach quick enough. So you want to try and compartmentalize compartmentalise the diffuser to make sure you contain the separated parts and allow the other parts to work consistently. So the, the shortening of those those um, vanes will compromise that a little bit and it will make the car definitely more, um, I think, more difficult under braking. Um, but that's what it was set out to do. It was set out to reduce the downforce a bit but to make the car more difficult basically to get a, a reasonable balance on the car. So it will achieve a goal. There's no team in the pit lane that wouldn't lengthen them if they could. Um and would not would every team would improve the performance by lengthening them. So shortening them will definitely bring in some more details into it. And that's why I thought um Jody Eggington was saying, you know, whenever he said about getting a wider working window. I was pleased to see a a um, technical director say that because that's my always my opinion. You've got to get as wide a working window as possible because all these circuits are different and if you can get that, the driver just gets more and more confidence from it so if they've pursued that then it's a good thing to pursue and I think they'll, they'll benefit from it for sure.
2: Obviously on this car we also see, as we'll see with all of them, the the rear of the floor cut back, that kind of triangular section uh, sort of tapering towards um, towards the back of the car so it kind of there's an exclude more of an exclusion zone around the rear wheels for one of a better better word but mark in terms of the the downforce gains jody Eginton seems to be suggesting they are about mid 2000 levels of downforce already with with what they've got and we've had james key saying that he expects them to to get to last year's level at some point this season maybe even at the start of the season so it does seem like the objectives have sort of been realized because it was about stopping it growing but initially the aims were that you lopped off 10% of the downforce with those changes and we're expecting about half of that to be pulled back immediately through re But it seems like we're going to end up with a similar downforce levels this year from what, what people have suggested.
1: Yeah, I guess they've just put the restrictions in a different place and you've got to work out where they are. Um, but you know, it was done um, it, for to, to, to keep strain off those tyres which weren't ever designed to be um, uh, on for this long because the new formula was supposed to be coming in by now. Um, So, yeah, I I think um, it's just expected that we will, I think it was already expected that they would at least claw it back and probably by the end of the year be ahead of where they were at the end of last year. Um, At the same time, the tyres have changed in, in, in construction a little bit in a way that's going to allow um, Pirelli not to be so extreme on the minimum pressures. Uh, that's, that's the idea. And so those, those two things in combination.
2: Gary, you're a little bit sceptical about whether those downforce levels would be achieved, but now we've got another team saying that. Do you think, do you think this is bluster or do you think that's, that that's an accurate reflection?
3: Well, it's a difficult thing because I think if you look at Mercedes, for them to achieve the same downforce levels as they had this year will be, or last year will be pretty difficult. Um, but the team's further down. Obviously, they've got a bigger window to, to achieve it from other parts that weren't working as well. If you take just the basic principles, um, Racing Point were third fastest as far as my performance thing's concerned, and they were 1.2% off Mercedes. Um, you could just take out that decimal point and say, well, that 1.2% is 12% less downforce than Mercedes had. This is a nice rough guide. And Alfa were were 1.6%. So you could say they were 16% down on downforce relative to, to Mercedes. So it's Mercedes that are the ones that are over, overusing the tires because of their downforce levels and not necessarily the teams that are following along behind because they have less downforce. That, that basically is the the reason they're slower. So, um, it's the Mercedes. You have to see whether they said, they said the same sort of thing or not. I would, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Williams and Haas and, you know, uh, Alfa Romeo and again, um. Uh, what do you call them, Alpha-tori. we're saying they're very near the same levels of downforce because they should be. They've got a lot more ground to make up. Um, and they're doing that. That's all they can do is to try to make sure that the gap to the front closes. It doesn't matter what the regulations are. It doesn't matter how you do it. As long as that gap closes up, They've, you know, as I say, that from third at 1.2%, racing point, as it's now Aston Martin, um, to AlphaTauri at 1.6%, that's only 0.4% they've got to, find to suddenly switch from being seventh fastest in performance to being third fastest in performance and that and that's Alpha T- Torre's challenge just be better than they were last year and i think you know what i see is a car that all the stuff they've addressed i think they will do that and i think they will get to the same downforce levels as last year but that doesn't mean they'll overwork the tires it's a mercedes that we've got to look at and red bull obviously
2: now, in terms of expectations for the, the team this year, one of my favourite things in pre-season over the past five or six years have been Frantz Tost's prediction, which is always very ambitious and has not once, to my knowledge, been actually hit. Last year, it was top five. They finished seventh, despite the fact it was a pretty good season. This year, he hasn't given a position number, but he's he said the target for this year is to consistently be at the top of this midfield pack and to improve further. Now, I don't think any of us will doubt that they will be in that midfield pack. They're perfectly capable of that. But what do you think of that, Mark? Because you could read that as saying that they could be potentially third. Now, that car was third fastest a couple of times last year. Portugal and and Imola, I think it was, where they had the third fastest lap time outside of the the, the big two. But while we can expect good things from Alfa being third seems a little bit of a, a stretch, doesn't it?
1: That's, yeah, that's not really within their control. It would depend upon underperformance, if you like, from the others, from, you know, from Ferrari, from Aston Martin, from McLaren or Renault, some combination of that. Um, And if all of those things happened, yeah, perhaps they could be third, but all those things aren't going to happen realistically. So, yeah, they'll be somewhere in there. They'll be, I would guess, somewhere between fifth and seventh. (laughs) But, you know, yes, they should be in that group. Now, we both think that Mark, but Gary Anderson
2: is a famed and proven F1 giant killer. So, yep. have you got a slightly more optimistic one? Would you be thinking that, that that's that's possible to do a bit better than that, and even be consistently best of that midfield pack?
3: Um, consistently best of the midfield pack will be will be very very difficult, I think. You know, it depends a bit on the spacer between the back of the chassis and the gearbox. That that Honda power unit is is very important to this, and you know we we can only glean on what we've what we're told. They seem to have be very happy with the steps they're making, so I I expect a step from that. To be honest, um, I would be I'd disappointed if they weren't consistently between third fastest and fifth fastest, or something like that. You know, um, maybe the you know as a team, third fastest means that you have a car in the in the top six, which is is pretty good. If you know, if Red Bull and and Mercedes do what they've done in the past, then to be the next on quite a few cases would be pretty decent for them. And back down to fifth, maybe, you know, Ferrari slip in there or Racing Point slip in there or McLaren, whatever. That would be a big achievement to me. If you're in the top half of the grid consistently, then I think they've done a very, very good job. And I think, genuinely, I think they can be. I think Pierre Gasly has, has come to terms with life now uh, quite a bit because, you know, he got his big opportunity maybe too early. It fell apart for him. It takes time to build that up again. Last year was a huge building curve for, for Gasly. And uh, in effect, the team in, itse- in itself, because they've got a good working relationship now. They're you know they're at, they're out there to do a job. They know the job that they're out there to do. It's not just to be a young driver, um, you know, team that that's gone. Uh, you know, they have um, the Japanese Tsunoda, in the car as their young driver, but they've got Pierre Gasly in the car. He's won a Grand Prix. He knows what it takes to to. To do well, he knows the pressures of of life now, and uh, I think they will do a good job. So I expect they'll do a bit better than Mark says.
2: <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it pans out. But yeah, they'll they'll certainly be in that uh, in that group. But this seems an interesting situation, isn't it? Because Red Bull made a big play of the fact that they're no longer the the junior team; they're a, they're a sister team. And and while I I can see where they're coming from in terms of the the money's a little bit more balanced up with the cost cap and the way that Concord splits the team money plus they've got other advantages like the move to the the 60% wind tunnel which is happening over the course of this year sharing with Red Bull so I'd certainly agree that AlphaTauri's potential has been increased but Gary can you ever see it transcending being Red Bull's second team it's surely always going to be in the shadow
3: yeah I think it'll always be in the shadow to be honest I don't see why it would ever overtake Red Bull because they're not the size of Red Bull you know you have to get your results relative to your expectations and obviously France Tost who I knew very well through the Ralph Schumacher, Michael Schumacher days, uh, when it was involved with Jordan, um, he, he is he is a realist about where they are, but he's also got to show that motivation within the team. So I think he's you know he's he's talking slightly bigger than what um, the team might might be able to achieve. That's not wrong because that drives everybody a bit, you know, gets them going a bit more. And no, there was nobody nobody better at talking bigger than the team than Eddie Jordan. And, you know, it just is one of those sort of things where I think that at that level in the team, you have to show positiveness that you're going to, you're going to go for it. So as far as I'm, you know, becoming competitors for Red Bull, I don't think that'll happen. I don't think it should happen. You know, without doubt, Red Bull are a top team better financed, financed by the same sort of pot of money, but better financed because their, their expectations are up there to, uh, to win races. Whereas I think Alpha Tauri's major expectations would be to pop onto the podium on a few occasions, a few more than they have in the past, and as I say, just to be consistently in that last part of qualifying, that top ten, be consistently in there, as opposed to just about knocking on the door of it most of the time. So just you just have to cut your cloth to suit, and uh, I think they're they're quite good at that. Being a being a fashion team, fashion promoted team, I think cutting their cloth is the the, the primary thing.
2: Very good uh, very good metaphor there, Gary. Good, good use of language. Uh, Mark, just as a, as a final thing, in terms of those objectives, I guess if you're Alpha you'd be looking at a team like Alpine and thinking, yeah, we can do something against them. And if Ferrari haven't quite made the engine step, so they're perhaps, Alpha is perhaps the team that has the most extreme range in terms of where it could be. Maybe Alpine's also in there because it, it should have great potential to move forward. But it's quite an interesting thing because they've got a nice, tidy car. We've seen lots of little changes, good rationale underpinning everything. So, AlfaTauri is kind of the, the Joker in the pack this year, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it's um, it's sprung surprises before. It, it's sort of specialised in doing that, hasn't it, in its history? Um, it'll sort of just go along there in the in the midfield, and then it'll suddenly pop up, and you'll have a um, a Monza like last year um, type of scenario. But um, yeah, that that midfield group is you know, it's been for years now so tightly packed it's you know a couple of tenths as Gary was talking about today a move from the top of it to the bottom of it so yeah there's a volatility there so you know AlphaTauri could really take great advantage of that if if they've got everything right and if Honda's given them the goods yeah absolutely it's it's possible so um yeah it, it's it's quite a quite an intriguing team to watch for those reasons
2: yeah, it's going to be an interesting story uh, this year. Of course, one of the teams that we're trying to latch onto that midfield group is Alfa Romeo. They're going to be the next launch which is on Monday and we'll have a podcast from that and if you missed it, our McLaren launch podcast came out on Monday night or early hours of Tuesday morning, can't remember which. So we're gradually building up plenty of uh, plenty of chat about the new cars. Thanks very much Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen there's loads of there to to read including Gary Anderson's analysis of the car Uh, i've done a piece looking at the the ambitions for the team in the longer term and whether it can transcend its junior team status and there's the usual bits and pieces from scott mitchell never know what you're going to get with him thanks very much for listening do subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review if you haven't already done so subscribe to our sister podcast as well bring back v10s telling classic f1 stories and head to our youtube channel just search for the race thanks very much for listening we'll be back on monday with everything you need to know from the alfa romeo launch